Good day, Reeling Freedom fans. Here we go with another episode of the Reeling Freedom Podcast. I am Captain Gene Hammond, and this episode brought to you by Monster 3X Baits. You will spend less time changing baits and more time catching fish. You got to get on there and check out their 3.5 and 4 inch X Move Shrimp. They are so durable. I mean, I, I could catch multiple fish on one bait. Um, caught so many redfish, snook, and trout with these baits, and they just last forever. You won't get those little chunks taken out by pinfish and pufferfish. So get on there and check them out. Raul and the boys from Monster 3X will definitely help you out. Catch more fish. Also brought to you by Bull Bay Tackle Company. Um, love their rods. We get all their all of my custom rods, even my offshore rods, are Bull Bay rods. Those brute force rods are on all of my kingfish setups and deep drop setups. And I have a bunch of those inshore assault rods as well. Check them out. Bull Bay Tackle Company, BullBayRods.com. And I pair those up with Florida Fishing Products Reels. Their Osprey Saltwater Series. Um, next version of reels are lightweight and I put all of their braid on my reels as well. I can just cast a mile. I love those Florida Fishing Products reels, those Osprey reels on my belt bull bay rods. can fish all day long with those things. So on today's episode we have Captain Mike Anderson from Real Animals. Just a great story. I wish we had more time to talk. Um, he and I could just talk for hours, but um, hope you enjoy it. Here we go with Captain Mike. 2 feet, 10 can 2 is on the ground. 10 can 2 heavy, turn right at 10 heavy, that's what Mike Welcome, Reeling Freedom fans, to the next episode of the Reeling Freedom Podcast. Today, we are talking to a guy that never, ever fails to support what we're doing for Reeling Freedom and our veterans from Real Animals, the man, the myth, the legend, Captain Mike Anderson. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> How are you, Gino? Doing good, man. Doing good. Just uh, barreling through it, trying to do what we do here at Reeling Freedom, so. I feel you. I feel you. And how are things with you today? You know what? They're good. It's uh, it's springtime, so it's it's a busy time. Um, if I could get the wind to stop blowing a little bit, I'd be a little happier. But I, I got nothing to complain about, brother. Life is good. Yeah, it's good. Well, so let's just get started and talk about you, your earlier life. We know that you're a cheesehead. I am a cheesehead. Born and raised. Yeah. How do you get into fishing, hunting, being the outdoors guy up there in the <laughs> In the, frozen, the frozen tundra it's, it's a cheesehead <laughs> thing um you know my 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 father my grandfathers um everybody in my whole family that i can remember all fished uh, my uncle my uncle bill was a four-time world walleye fishing champion on the pwt up there my dad worked at mercury outboards fished the merc national all that stuff so Fishing's just kind of been in the family. 
Um, I got away from it a little bit. Uh, my, my high school years, uh, I was a, a pretty big basketball player growing up. So, you know, basketball season just kind of took me away from the hunting scene. And then in the summer we had basketball tournaments. And so I didn't fish and hunt there for about four years. And I went in the military, got stationed in, in Germany and like a bonehead, I never fished at all when I was in Europe. I wish now that's the one thing I wish I'd have done. But um, and then I, I was blessed enough to I did three and a half years there. And then I got stationed at McDill and, you know, fell in love with the saltwater fishing scene. And this whole kind of crazy Captain Mike world just took off for me. So, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty that, blessed. It's it really is truly amazing backing up to um, fishing where you're deployed and stuff. Um that's that's one thing I always tried to do when I was um, at different duty stations. I used to carry a collapsible pole in my. Um, it was basically a tank. It was a right. MLRS, um, like a Bradley chassis, and uh, we would stop for the afternoon and have a bite. And there were ponds all over Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and I'd go out there and catch me a few bass and stuff. But um, backing up to Wisconsin, what did you guys hunt up there? What What are you hunting? Well, we. You know, when I was a kid, I mean, we did a little bit of everything. We duck hunted, we pheasant hunted. Oh yeah, pheasant. Um, yeah, my dad was a big deer hunter, so we uh, we did a little bit of everything growing up. Squirrels, my dad would squirrel hunt. Um, so you know, I've been around guns and hunting my whole life, and there's very there's very few places that really calm me down and get me right, um, like my tree stand during deer season. Oh, yeah. You know, that's um, kind of what the water is to us. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a chance to just unplug, shut the phone off, um, kind of just reset and relax and, and enjoy nature. And that's, that's one thing I don't see a lot of kids, like when we were probably in our 15, 16, 17 years old, I don't hear a lot of kids doing that anymore, you know? So... Where does that take, not enough? What where does that take the future of the sport if if that generation isn't in the decision making process to save our estuaries like the guys from Captain Captains from Clean Water and and what they're yeah. doing? But yeah, it just yeah. amazing. Well, and I, you know something interesting. I, I you know I feel really blessed. You know, twenty years of radio, fifteen years of TV. Now, you know, guiding for twenty years. And, and it just hit me one day and it was really weird, but I just, I, I, it just, it hit me that I needed to do something with the kids. So we just recently started the Real Animals Junior Pro Staff, Saw that. which is probably one of the things that I'm most proud of because, um, and, and it's exactly for that reason. We're trying to redirect some of our youngsters and, and you know, the, the pro staff kids are, are probably already redirected. But by getting them on board with real animals and getting them hats and stickers and, and a place to post their pictures and, and share all their information, um, I'm hoping that more of their friends will follow them and join them. And we can kind of save these, these kids from the technological era that they're, they're being doomed into, if you will. You know, I, oh, yeah. you know, we're doing this podcast on a Zoom call and I, you know, there's nothing I'd rather do less than Zoom calls oh, and, yeah. you know, doing the radio show from a Teams meeting and all that nonsense. I just don't like it. I just, I would rather, I'd rather be on my boat looking at my customers in the eye, talking to them and 
So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that the Real Animals Junior Pro staff can pull more of those kids in that direction. But I think you're spot on. We we really need the kids to 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 really re-fall in love with the sport of fishing so that we can save this sport for future generations. Yeah, I do say that. That I, It's not like I never see it, but there's um, the Sweeney family, Brandon Sweeney and Jessica. Their kids always fish our tournament, and they're 14, 15 years old, and they always place. They always nice. – I think they placed third or fourth um, this last weekend. But that's really good to see. You know, they're out there catching – 30-inch redfish and 35-inch snook and and getting sure. it done. So it is good to see yep. a few kids out there. But I don't think that it's nearly as much as we need it to be to to keep, you know, what we love to do and and, and, and keep it going, basically. I agree. So. I couldn't agree more, Gino. I, I you know, and, and I before we get too far into this, I got to, you know, you – and Paul and Danelle, you guys deserve a really big, um, a standing ovation, if you will, uh, from everybody that meets you guys. Because what you guys are doing, you know, day in and day out to, to get to our veterans and help them out is really, is really special stuff. And I don't, because of COVID, it's kind of slowed us down from having you guys in studio and things like that. And that's too bad because I love those days when we got you guys in there and we could talk about our veterans and remind the communities, you know, how important it is to show some love to these kids. You know, think about the last year. It's been nothing but COVID in an election. We haven't talked at all about the thousands and thousands and thousands of kids that are still over there deployed that are still doing the dirty work so that we can sleep at night peacefully. You know, they really got lost in this whole thing. Yeah, that stuff does not turn off like a light switch when we're dealing with problems here in the U.S. We're still deployed. I mean, even yeah. with this recent presidency, stuff has ramped up a little bit. And, yeah. um, you know, backing up just a little bit, it's not something that, that we do, Paul and Donnell and Mike Stevens, Nick. Um, we do not do this for a soapbox or notoriety for, for me and Paul especially, it's part of our healing process. And we're fortunate enough to be able to give back like we do. So we do it, and, and it helps. You know, it, it just warms my heart. And when, when I see, when we get calls from um, a spouse who's had a husband that hasn't been out of the house in 90 days or, or six months, um, and they, we take them out fishing, it just changes their perspective. You know, just, yeah. just baiting a hook, tying a knot, or, or watching the water, it keeps their mind off of that stuff, the stuff they had to go through. And I certainly didn't go through um, a lot what some of the stories that I've heard. You know, you can sure. listen to them on this podcast. But anyway, yeah. we, we always appreciate your support from Real Animals and, and – um, uh, I would love to get a couple of veterans on your boat and just go fish with you, you know? Yeah. That, that would be amazing. Yeah, I would too. Yeah. We'll have to try to get something in the book here this summer. Yeah. Trying to get that done. So what made you, um, let, let's switch gears a little bit to the military. Um, why the Air Force? What made you decide to raise your right hand? Which basically represents one half of 1% of 350 million plus people in the United States. That, that's a very low number 
for yeah. you, you know what I mean? What? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, my my, you know, all of my high school years, I had definitely envisioned myself playing college basketball somewhere, uh, and I had a lot of opportunities to do that, but I was not a very good student. Yeah. Um, and and as that part of my world fell apart, the rest of my world fell apart really bad, and I got into you know, drugs and alcohol and skipping school. And I just was a mess from the very, from the very minute that my senior basketball season ended, I was a train wreck. I went to like two classes after that to the end of the year. And, uh, and, and I was a mess. And I, and I, I, I thank God every day that my father had instilled in me just a, a, a enough knowledge to know that I was not on a good path. This is going to end badly. Yeah. Um, a lot of my friends had joined the Air Force, a couple of real close friends, and they had already come back from basic training, and they had both put in for Florida and got Florida. So they were all excited. So, man, just join the Air Force and put in for Florida, and you'll get it. And so I thought, you know what? I got to do something to get out of this town. I got to start to hang out with some different people. I need to change my trajectory here. And that's really why I went in, um, you know, Top Gun had just come out. So oh, yeah. I wanted to go work, wanted to go work on jets. Um, Thank you, know, you, Tom so. Cruise. Thank you, Tom <laughs> yeah. Cruise. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that was all part of it. Um, I didn't have a big, you know, aha, you know, it wasn't a 9-11 moment for me because nothing was going on in the world when I went back in. And, you know, my first day of active duty, actually in basic training was, uh, was December 31st, 1986. Um, so I was there for New Year's Eve along with two other guys that showed up at basic training. And basically, we weren't supposed to show up till the next morning. Yeah. So we basically boogered up our drill instructor's New Year's Eve. And he wasn't very happy with Perfect. us. Perfect. That's as a you good can imagine. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Perfect. It was a nice long night of butt chewings. And, um, but anyway, yeah, that's. That's really how the whole Air Force thing happened for me. I needed to grow up. Um, and I think, I believe, that one of the problems we're having in society today is that that half of 1% that you're talking about. Yeah. I believe that more kids could get in, and now it's harder to get in. You know, you can't just say, you know, go in the military, they'll take you. They don't. No, they don't. So, and you know what? No, they don't. The uh, and first, that's too bad. The first responders, we all know what the police um, um, law enforcement's dealing with in this country these days. How do you recruit? Who wants to go be a, a police officer? Yeah. Who wants to with- raise their right hand? You know, we're during the height of everything after 9-11, um, 40% of our deployed forces were um, National Guard and Reservists. And some of those That's guys, crazy. I never did more than 180 days, but they they're they're gone for a year, year to 18 months. My my son in law, my son in law is in the army. There you go. And uh, and he he spent a year gone. I mean, he spent a year in in the desert, and uh, you know, super proud of him for putting that time in. But he you know had a new bride, you know, my daughter. Yeah. And. Uh, and he had to go to the desert for a year. So they got married uh, 
over Christmas, and by February 15th, he was gone and was yeah. gone for a year. Yeah, that's one thing about military service. The, the percentage is extremely low. But yeah. you cannot walk into a room and ask the room, do you have a brother, an uncle, a father, your grandfather that has um, joined the military? And yeah. 99% of them have, you know. So that is a good thing. But, you know, I've, with your – yeah. I've always made a statement, and, and maybe you'll find this interesting, and I know you can relate to it. I try to tell people that, in, and it doesn't matter what the branch of service is, I don't believe, until you stood on the tarmac or on the giant concrete pad at basic training with 50 or 60 other guys or gals, all of your heads are shaved, you're all wearing a green uniform. You're all wearing black boots. You're all sleeping in the same room together. Until you do that and you raise your right hand and you salute that flag every single day, there's no way for you to understand what that takes. You might think you do. Yeah. And I'm sure that you think you do. But unless you've done it, there's no way to understand it. There's no way to understand the brotherhood when you're looking to your left and your right and the drill instructor is up in your grill, absolutely wearing you out. And again, I was Air Force. You know, we had the ours yeah. was like Club Med compared to the other, you know, services. So, but dude, they were wearing us out. And and you you had to keep your stuff tight so you didn't screw up your group. You didn't screw up your formation. And it makes you grow up. It brings you to a different place. And I, I just, I tell people, you know, you can think you, you know, oh, I love our military and I'm sure you do, but unless you raised your right hand and stood on that tarmac with them 50 other guys saluting that flag, you know, giving the, giving the, you know, giving your self to your brothers and to that flag, there's no way you can ever really understand it yeah, until I you agree. do it. I agree. You know, I, yeah. it breaks my heart that we no longer have, and I, I don't want to turn this into a political conversation, but I don't know how we could possibly have a president who's commander in chief that didn't serve. It's amazing. Because right? you don't know. He can't know. He yeah. cannot possibly understand what he's doing when he signs that piece of paper, sending those troops in there. He don't know. Yeah. He don't know. Exactly. You know, right. I, again, I know he thinks he does, but he don't know. Yeah, but you know, the military is the hand of a political ideal, right? Um, I get it. I, it would be better to have leaders that know exactly what you're talking about. I think it would be uh, much better for our deployed forces today. But that, you know, our last, what, three presidents, none of them served. You know? Nada. So, yeah. I think. Well, you know, and here's, here's the other thing. And I'm just going to throw this in there, and then you can take us where you want to take us. But I also believe that our presidents would be of much higher moral character if they had served our country before they took that seat. Yeah. I also yeah. believe that to be very true. So, Well, you know, we have um, a deploy deployed forces and armed services that are not – it is not a requirement. It is not yeah. a requirement. I'll tell you a little yeah. story. I'm um, getting sidetracked here a little bit, but I was in Korea for a little while. 
And I was down at uh, Hialeah, which is a Navy base, and there was a rock marine base right next to where we were state, um, um, set up for um, field deployment. And a mar rock marine came out. I was going outside the gate because I was smoking back then. I was going to smoke a cigarette. And here come this rock marine. And um, I'm like, oh, man, how am I going to talk to this guy? Well, he came right up to me, and he's like, hey, man, how's it going? I'm like, whoa. I mean, perfect English. I'm like, I got to know your story. <laughs> right. Well, he he grew up in California, and he um, came back home when he was 19 years old to visit some family, and guess what happened at the airport? He got snatched up, and he went. It was mandatory service there, mandatory oh, okay. service. He was a citizen of South Korea, and guess what? He's standing in formation a couple of weeks later, just like everybody. We do not have to do that here, you know, and maybe we should. You want free college? I mean, we're getting very political here. Yeah, no, you're, well, you know, and, and I think that's an interesting take. I've always said, you know, I've got an 18-year-old daughter right now, yeah. and I'm telling you, has got, and it's my second kid. I got a 30-year-old too, and on both accounts, I think they'd be much further ahead today if they'd have done at least two years of military service. Yeah, at least it saved my yeah. Gino, it saved my life. I'm, I'm telling I'm, you right now. I'm telling I'd you, be in I, prison yeah. or I'd be dead. I've heard no I've heard um, a lot of stories exactly like yours, even with mine, right? I wasn't joining the military. Um, right. my my story is very well documented in previous podcasts, but I it was the last resort for me. I had no right. job, I was bankrupt. I was getting divorced at 22 years old. I had nothing left. And now um, it, it gave me the discipline. It gave me the, the, the sense of, of duty. Um, I didn't look at the flag like I do now. Right. Me neither. Yeah. I mean, it, it does. It, it will. It, like, like kids, it'll save your life. Yeah, it really. I'm telling you. Mike, I remember, and I was thinking about this just the other night. I remember coming, just coming home from boot camp and technical school. In the Air Force, we went to boot camp. You went straight to your tech school, and then you got to go home before your first assignment. Yeah. I remember being in my dress blues, sitting in the back of the car, coming home from Milwaukee. It's about an hour and a half drive to my hometown of Oshkosh. And I remember my mother looking back at me and, and saying something to the effect of, you don't even seem like the same kid. Yeah. yeah. Boot camp and tech school alone. That time alone, I grew up immensely. Immensely. I mean, it changed my life. Yeah. And I remember I remember my drill instructor, and you'll get a kick out of this. <laughs> and not everybody knows that I'm 6'5 and 280 pounds. But I'm and at the time I wasn't. I was 6'5, but I was only about 200 pounds. But my drill instructor was about five nine. <laughs> oh no i'll never forget oh, little bitty no. black guy yeah and he had the round hat on and he is beating that brim of that hat in the center of my chest and he is yelling at me like i stole something from his mom i mean he yeah. is riding me up one side and down the other you skinny piece of it i mean he is riding me hard and all i kept thinking was I am fixing to grab you by the neck and wring you out to dry. I am tired of this. And I literally remember thinking, nothing in your life has gone well. Yeah. Your father 
and your father's father made it through boot camp. Do not screw this up. Yeah. Do not. You have to make it through this because they did. They will be so disappointed in you. And that pushed me over that hump to get to the point where, uh, you know, it helped me be the guy that I am now. I mean, it helped me grow up, start my life. I mean, it was really important. Yeah, we had a lot of, uh, we had a a little drill sergeant like that too. But um, if I was going to say anything to kids that are going into boot camp and deciding to raise their right hand like that, just take it in very small bites. Just wake up and get to breakfast. Yes. Right? Yes. Wake up and get to lunch. They have to feed you three times a day. Right. (laughs) Well, you know, that eight or 12, 12 week long boot camp may seem like a lot, but just take it in smaller bites. It's a little more manageable. It's not, Uh, it's not the seal training or anything, but uh, right. My daughter's best friend, Zoria, she just went in, she just joined the Marine Corps. And I remember telling her that you have to remember that it's a game. They're trying to break you. That's they their want, whole job. They want, That's their they want the job. meatheads, right. They want the meathead out of there. Yeah. So when they're talking to you and they're calling you a piece of crap and all that stuff, it's not personal. It's trying to find out what it'll take to break you. And, they and it's will not, break they're not going to hurt you. They're not going to let you die. You know, none of that stuff's going to happen. So no matter what happens, stay focused on the end game. Just get to graduation. Like you said, one day at a time, yeah. get to breakfast, get to lunch, get to dinner, get the lights out, <laughs> you know, do those things throughout the day and, and you'll be fine. And again, it was, you know, I, 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 I tell everybody it saved my life. No doubt about it. Yeah. And I, you know, those kids going in, um, I guarantee you that when they play taps at 2,100 hours on day one, it's going to mean something completely different to you on uh, at the last day of week 12. You bet it is. You know? No doubt. Yep. Yep. It's cool stuff. Yeah, good conversation, man. So you went to Germany. Um, I know this story, but tell us what you did in Germany. Running I didn't do a whole lot. Shooting hoops. (laughs) (laughs) I did, yeah. I, I, uh, I, I'm the guilty guy. I really am. I always feel guilty you about my You do feel guilty about that, but you know I what? I do. Uh, don't do that. You raised your right hand. I know. Yeah. I know. I know. I should, but it's, again, when I was in, we every, it was peacetime. I mean, we were in Europe, and, you know, the wall came down while I was over there, and everything was just kind of calm and cool. We weren't, you know, you didn't even think about, you know, people shooting at you or nothing crazy. I mean, we just... I, you know, I, I got to Germany, uh, F-16s, F-4s. I was an ejection. I worked on ejection seats, real cool, on the flight line, you know. Yeah. Um, neat job, great shop, great group of guys and, and, and wives that kind of pulled us youngsters in. And um, we had a base basketball team, and it was very competitive over there in Europe at the time. There was probably 12 or 13 bases, Air Force bases. And let me tell you what, them base commanders – they wanted to win stuff. That's oh, yeah. what they did. So we, you know, we put pride. together. It's, I mean, yeah. that's all about morale, too. And I'll tell you this yeah. much. With all the services, I was in a joint unit at McDill Air Force Base. The Air Force had the best softball players, volleyball players, <laughs> basketball players. They always kicked our butts. They always kicked our well, butts. Well, we, we, uh, we were pretty blessed. And we, we won you safety while I was there. Um, 
United States Armed Forces in Europe is what USAFE stands for. And we won the USAFE title while I was there. And we were we were good. One of the, my, my, the funnest stories I tell all the time about my basketball career over there. So I was playing pickup ball in the gym and I see the sign up, you know, hey, tryouts for the basketball team. And I meet the, the coach of the basketball team comes over and, hey, who are you? Blah, blah, blah. We're talking. He's like, well, you're going to be at tryouts, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I'd love to try out. And he says, uh, well, the base gym is, is going to be closed down, so we got to go up to the school gym up on the north end of the base. Yeah. And tryouts are going to be from 11 to 1 in the middle of the day. I'm working day shift at the time. I'm like, okay. So I walk in next day. I walk into the shop chief's office, and I'm saying, sir, you know, I'd, I'd like to try out for the basketball team. Basketball tryouts are from 11 to 1 every day. Shop chief says, hey, Airman Anderson, that ain't happening, bro. I'm short on people. <laughs> you know, yeah. you ain't, it ain't happening. And, of course, I'm eight up military guy. I'm like, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Roll out. No, no problem. So I go to the gym that night, play a little pickup ball. I see the coach. Coach is like, you going to be there? I'm like, no, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm not. You know, coach, shop chief said, no, I, we don't have the people. He goes, oh, you know, that's too bad. I, I hate to hear that. We were looking forward to having you. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, it is what it is. I walk in the shop the next morning, and I hear, Anderson, get your ass in here. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I went to the gym last night. I didn't go out. I didn't do nothing. Why are they yelling at me? So I walk in there. I'm like, yes, sir. And all he said to me was, he goes, you must be pretty good. I'm like, uh, <laughs> sir? said, the base commander called this morning, and uh, apparently you will be at tryouts, and you better not embarrass us. All right. You who better broke be just, rank? Just good. <laughs> yeah, so that, the head coach called the base commander and said, hey, is there any way we can get this scrawny little kid from Wisconsin out of the egress shop during the day to come to tryouts? We need him. And uh, the rest is history. I played college. I played college ball. I played Air Force ball the whole time I was over in Europe, and it was an absolute blast. And we got to travel all over Europe, Holland, and, you know, played against some Army bases. And the Army guys were always the worst, by the way brutes throwing elbows and yeah man mean and, yeah <laughs> <laughs> they were always the worst dude yeah i think but, I, uh, called yeah, was, you. I called you one time from wiesbaden you, germany you, you did that? it was yeah. such a it was one of the coolest phone calls we've ever had on the radio show i'm like how yeah, cool right. is that I'm like I, I, gotta call my I played basketball in that town yeah oh yeah so how do you get to um you know did you get from did you go from there to McDill Air Force Base? Landed Straight Tampa? to McDill. McDill was short on egress guys, um, so I ended up getting stationed at McDill, and you know that that blessing just kind of keeps rolling, you know, at me because you know I met my wife, um, and she's born and raised here in, in the Tampa Bay area. I fell in love with saltwater fishing, which I had never done before. Yeah. You know, still got to play ball. You know, we played a lot of hoops play a lot of slow pitch softball here. So it, it, it was just a great assignment for me. You know, it really was. And the military was kind of on a downturn. I mean, really things what, were, you know, what year was this? What, they were whittling down 92. Okay. They were kind of whittling down, you know, there was a lot of early outs, you know, for guys and I, and it didn't affect me. Um, and then at McDill, when the fighters left, because it was part of a attack, it was part of a fighter training wing. Yep. We were a training wing. We were teaching pilots. Um, so we had a lot of F-16s, but we didn't have any worries about going anywhere because we were just we just had all the young pilots. I can't imagine um, they have too many ejection seats in a C-5 Galaxy out there right ex now. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so 
So when, when, when they decided to, to, to move the training wing out to, to, to Luke, um, I, I, I had less than a year left time in service. So they came to me and said, hey, in order for us to send you somewhere, you got to extend or re-enlist. And <laughs> yeah, I was like, mm, I don't, have you seen it out here? Have you seen Florida? Yeah. Salt water. I mean, you know, my wife's, uh, my girlfriend at the time is a, a Hooters girl. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to leave. Like that doesn't seem like a good plan to me. So that's when I pulled the old ripcord and decided to parachute down and, and make Tampa my home. So, and I've been here ever since, but McDill was a great, was really a great place to be stationed. I mean, this coming from Wisconsin and then being, you know, in the Eiffel region of Germany where it was, you know, snowy and cloudy and all the time. And then here you are in the sunshine. And, you know, I was 23 years old and there's, you know, again, my girlfriend works at Hooters and there's yeah. bikinis everywhere and I'm playing <laughs> softball and you just, it doesn't get any better now when you're 23 years old. Well, I'm, I'm certain, I'm probably sure you are glad that the Air Force taught you a little bit of discipline before, uh, before. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Yeah, and what yeah. discipline I didn't get from the Air Force, my wife taught me the rest. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you say pull the ripcord in the Army, we say pop smoke. And so, okay, pop smoke. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Okay. So how do you, <laughs> hear you. you You get here and you – do you have a boat at the time or did you buy a boat? Or no. No, heck, I didn't even – first couple times I went fishing, I didn't even have fishing poles. Yeah. Um, my buddies had fishing poles and then I finally got some and Beth – she liked to lay on the beach. She wasn't a big fisher woman, fisher person, but she loved to lay on the beach. So we'd go down to Fort DeSoto. I would wade fish and she'd lay on the beach. Yeah. Um, and that's really how it started. Uh, and then, well, you know, as I got out, I got out of the military, I started an aluminum installation company doing screen rooms, carports, basically started really just doing repairs. I need one of those and, built right now in the back of my, my house. I got you. I got you a guy. I know a guy. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, my company's still open. I'm still the license holder. We can get you tidied up. Okay. Um, but so I started all that, and, and things really blew up here in the Bay Area and Florida in general. Business was really good. And then I bought my first boat. We bought our – actually, Beth said, my lovely bride said, you can have a boat after we get a house. Right. <laughs> I had to buy her a house first, and then we got the first boat. And then the whole thing really gets kind of crazy because I was playing a lot of slow-pitch softball, tournaments every weekend, you know, still playing basketball, super competitive, just like I was my whole life. And then somebody told me there was redfish tournaments. Oh, yeah. I'm like, what? You fish those IFAs? <laughs> I was at the very first IFA tournament there ever was in Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah. Uh, Billy Nobles was a ranger guy, Captain Billy. And uh, I had done some charters with Billy, and we had become friends. And Ranger was the, a big sponsor of that event when it first started. So the Ranger pro team guys all kind of got a heads up that it was coming. And because my aluminum business was doing well, I could afford to take a week and go pre-fish and, you know, pay the entry fees and all that stuff. So I told Billy, I said, I'm in. I'll write the check. Let's go. I want to fish tournaments. Yeah. And I got to the first, as a matter of fact, in Jacksonville, was sitting around a table full of Billy's buddies that were all captains. And they started picking on me. I was captain no name because I wasn't a captain. So I don't have my stuff on my shirt. Right. Yeah. And, uh, 
it dawned on me that I should probably go get my captain's license just so I could help myself get sponsors yeah. to fish this pro tour. Oh, so then I got the license and then Billy wanted me to start running a few trips and then we got a radio show and then a TV show. And the next thing you know, I'm not doing much of the aluminum business. I'm full-time captain Mike and, here we are doing podcasts with Reeling Freedom it's 20 years later. You know how hard it is to keep a show like that running as long as it has? I mean, I can't imagine. Um, how, how long has it been now? 16 years? 17 years? The radio show has been 20 years. 20 years. The, uh, the TV show, this is, I'm filming now for season 15. Okay. It's unbelievable. It's crazy. Yeah, it's we got to get out man. there. Got to get Yeah, out I don't, there. even when I, every time I think about, 15 years on on national television is is crazy to me it's just crazy i don't i don't know how it happened i don't know where the time went i don't know how i got this old i don't know any of that i don't know any of that stuff <laughs> i now, really don't now you got grandkids i got two myself yeah. you know no just, we just got our third we just got our third grandbaby so yeah it's crazy, dude. It's crazy. And, and still, how many trips do you run a week now? Like a month? You're still. I, tr running? I try to run. I try to run three a week. I okay. try to run Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, if at all possible. You know, this week we've had wind all week. I've already canceled my trip for tomorrow because I just, I just hate going out there when it's going to blow fifteen to twenty, and yeah. it's been blowing fifteen to twenty for a week. So it's going to be muddy and messy, and water temp was sixty four this morning. So I just, you know. But normal, I run probably a hundred, maybe a hundred to hundred and fifty a year, somewhere yeah. in there. Some years, you know, it's close to one fifty, and some years it's close to a hundred. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And and hardly ever on the weekends, right? You're doing it all. I don't because of the radio shows. That's the one thing. When I first started doing the Saturday morning radio show, well, Sunday wasn't so bad because it was only one day and it was Sunday, so it was kind of easy to take off when. I jumped into the, the, the Captain Mel vacancy on Saturday, which has been 11 years now that I've been doing both shows. I never really got to listen to him, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah you missed it. He, he was absolutely the voice of an angel. It was unbelievable. Such a great radio personality. Um, I tried the first, you know, because Saturdays are such a big thing for charter captains. I tried early on to still run trips and do the show. But originally the show didn't end until nine o'clock. It was six to nine instead of yeah. six to eight, like it is now. And man, if you don't get down there to the bait until ten o'clock, you know it's the sun's way up. You got boats everywhere. It just got really hard for me to give people what I thought they deserved for their money. Yeah. So I just cut Saturday and Sunday out of it and just concentrated on doing the radio shows, doing a good job, and fishing during the week when there's less people out there. Yeah, well, you know, on the weekends, we got to, I love your word for these people, but we, there's a lot of jack wagons out there. There's a lot of and jack how wagons. How do you deal with those Googans. guys? Yeah, how do you deal with those guys? <laughs> well, yeah. I think. I almost want to take a, a, a paintball gun on my boat, you know, and just yeah. keep it there. Yeah. I get it. I get yeah. it. But, and, and here's the truth the truth is, it's going to get worse. You know, they just yeah. keep coming to Florida. So it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Um, you know, it's one of my wife's complaints. She doesn't get to get on the boat very much, even on the weekends, because she would rather I take her to the beach. Yeah. She said, when we go to the beach, I relax. 
when we go out in the boat, I'm yelling at people on the water and yeah. grumpy because I'm, you know. So um, I, I just think that you have to understand, you know, it's just like driving cars around the Tampa Bay area now. You just have to know when you leave your driveway that you can't fix stupid. I mean, we got stupid everywhere. I mean, people yeah. changing lanes, driving around on people's bumpers. It's the same thing on the water. You see these people doing so much stupid stuff. You know, and a lot of them, they wonder why they don't catch fish. They, you know, I'm like, well, man, you, you know, you got your motor running in two foot of water, bro. Yeah. You know, you, <laughs> yeah. you got a trolling motor on the front of the boat. You didn't turn it on until you were 30 yards from the oyster bar. Mm -hmm. Well, they, they knew you were coming 150 yards ago. They can hear so, you. So they can. Hear yeah. You. I mean, there, there's so much to that game that, that just takes time to learn. And, and I try to be understanding because you have to remember the, the weekend guy, yeah. he might only fish once or twice a month. So for him, if he sees his oyster bars open or there's room in there or he sees you catching fish, he's been doing nothing but working his tail off thinking about catching a redfish. Yeah. And you're catching them. He's coming in. Oh, yeah, he's coming in. Yeah. And you have to – some of you – some of the – you know, you have to understand some of that because I was that guy. Yeah. I was the new guy. I was the, you know, oh, my God, he's catching redfish. Let's get in there. You know, I, I was that guy. I did it. Yeah. We, and, and it Just, doesn't matter inshore, offshore. Um, you know that Paul and I, well, I run almost every Kingfish tournament. I, I had one guy come so close to me trolling that I could have leaned over and gave him a coffee. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's are, great. Are you, <laughs> are you close enough? You close yeah. Enough? Drives me nuts. Yeah, I know you need to get out of here, but I wanted to talk um, about one thing that has always really, really bothered me. Um, you know, we both, I, I have over 20 years experience driving a boat and being on the water, rivers, lakes. Why don't we have some kind of training or mandatory licensing to, I mean, if I want to operate I, I just want to get your take on this. If I want to operate a moped on the street out there, I got to go take a test, get licensed, make sure I need to do it. If I win the lottery tomorrow, I could go buy a 55-foot azimuth that weighs 29 gross tons and hit drive, no license. It's totally uh, insane. Totally insane. There's no reason. There's no reason for it. And you know, I, I I've got good friends with the Coast Guard Auxiliary. There is classes. Yeah. But they're not mandatory. And I tell people all the time, take the class. Yeah. You know, take the class and learn what you're doing out there, especially on today's waters. There's too many people here. It's not like, you know, you're in a lake somewhere secluded in Canada. And as long as you wear your life jacket, you're not going to hit a boat ever. That's not the case here. Yeah. The case here is, you know, there's, there's, I mean, jet skis and kayakers and, you know, just knowing which way to go in the channel, you know, red, right, return, and learning all those nuances. You got to remember that the, if I believe, if I'm correct, and I think that I am, the average depth of Tampa Bay is less than six feet. Six feet, yeah. And the shipping channel is 50. Yeah. In most places. Yeah. So you do the math. You do the math on the rest of it. It ain't, it ain't deep. No. Nope. So running aground is a real possibility unless you start to know. Think about this. Polarized sunglasses aren't even mandatory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We worry about manatees, all that stuff. 
but polarized sunglasses ain't you know how many manatee lives we could save yeah if people could actually see in the water they buy a hundred and fifty thousand dollar boat and then they pick up a pair of sunglasses at 7-eleven on their way to the ramp yeah they can't you know i mean it doesn't even make any sense so i, I have yet to see a manatee in my i live on the Anclo river i have yet to see one that does not have scars on its back yeah for sure i have not seen one yet I yeah mean, yeah well they're big and they're slow and there's a lot of boat traffic out there and a lot of people don't know what to look for they don't know what to do when they see the manatees and that's all stuff that we could introduce into those classes that you're talking about that should be mandatory. Yeah, well, maybe it's something we need to think about, even just for safety-wise, try to get some of these, some some kind of legislation in there if you, yeah. want, if you want to operate a boat. But um, Good idea, my friend. Anyway, you know, we're out of time here. I appreciate your support. Thank you so much for everything that you do for Reeling Freedom, and um, I, I can't wait till the next one. So. We'll have to do we'll have to do another one of these because I, I you know that went by so fast. So fast, um, yeah. We could and, talk and podcasts. For hours. Yeah, exactly. There's a you know you're easy to talk to. You're a great guy. I consider you a friend, even though I I don't hardly see you guys, especially since all this COVID nonsense started. But uh, you know, keep up the great work, Gino. You know, keep calling the shows. Let's keep spreading the word. Um, you know, you got my support for Reeling Freedom, the Warrior Shootout, anything you guys need. Uh, Paul and Danelle Gage are 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 absolutely incredible humans. Um, I love both those guys to death, just like I love you, brother. And yeah. whatever you need, you let me know, and, and we got your back. Well, I appreciate you, Mike. Thank you, sir. All good, my friend. Anytime. All right. Well, there you have it. Thank you, Captain Mike Anderson and Real Animals, for all your support for the Reeling Freedom Foundation. If you like the podcast, please share, rate, and review wherever you find podcasts. Um, Every little bit helps. Again, thank you so much, Captain Mike Anderson. See you next time.